what happens when you look at creativity through the lens of therapy and vice versa? You have creativity in an ever-changing world with Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. In every episode, they come together with amazing artists who prove that with just a little ingenuity, we are all creative beings and that the gifts lie within despite the challenges of the outside world. And now, here are Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, Judy. Happy Wednesday, Richard. How are you? And happy belated birthday. Well, thank you. Thank you. I had a great birthday this year. Uh, I was able, after two years, to have friends over to celebrate on Saturday night, and that felt great. Uh, We had about 15 friends over, and uh, it was just a fun, fun night. Danny threw a great party for me, so I was very happy. And how are you celebrating today or Valentine's Day or gum prop day as it is today? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, it. Uh, when love is in the air, everything is is fine, right? You know, as they say, love is all you need. <laughs> How lucky we are. Right. Uh, I do want to tell everyone who's watching, and thank you for being here, first of all, uh, that uh, today was one of those days where everything got scrambled. Uh, Karen Mason, who was scheduled to be here tonight, uh, she put the wrong date in her calendar. Uh, These things happen. I've done it myself. Uh, But she will be here next month, uh, all next month. Uh, We will be celebrating Cabaret Month. So we're going to have some incredible cabaret entertainers, some that have been here before, like Karen, and Mm -hmm. some that will be joining us for the first time. Uh, I'm very excited about today's show uh, because it came together. First of all, we had Constantine, which I am so excited to meet today. Thank you, Judy, for that. Um, waiting in the wings. Uh, but Erin Caleb, uh, who is my assistant, my best friend, my every you fill in the blanks, she was scrambling today. Um, and she brought in two other guests uh, so that our show was able to go on. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about, the Garden State Film Festival is going to be coming up next month. And we have two participants from the film festival here today, uh, plus Constantine. So we're going to jump right in in just a moment. But as I always do, uh, pull a number one through four for your mystery question of the day. And we're going to see where this takes us today. Well, I always choose number three. So today I'll choose number four. Okay. And your question is, uh, and it's a statement. Okay. My actions are intentional and they bring me closer to my goals. What are your goals for the next few weeks? Um, my goal, my, well, my goals, you know, are pretty much the same all the time. It's not just for the next four weeks. And my goal is to be as authentically true to myself as I possibly can be in all situations. I think that's really my goal, um, to know myself, to bring that the best of myself to whatever interactions I have with people. That's my goal. That's wonderful. Well, let's, my goal is to bring on our first guest. <laughs> so let's bring on, uh, and Angel, if I pronounce your last name wrong, because we are just meeting for the first time, please correct me. Sure. Fajardo. That's perfect. Perfect. Good, 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 good. So Angel is going to be participating in the uh, upcoming film festival. He has a new short film out. Uh, I'm going to bring some information here on the bottom of the screen, and I hope that everybody will go to your website, learn a little bit more about you. Uh, but first of all, 
Uh, who or what are you celebrating today, Angel? And congratulations on having this film as part of the film festival. Thank you. Thank you. Um, ooh, what am I celebrating? Um, today has been the theme of just like celebrating opportunity when it comes and being grateful for the things that uh, I'm working on currently. Like today, I actually had therapy and I was learning to celebrate myself and voice myself, you know, creating some kind of form of of unity within my own chaos and all that. Um, so, yeah, I would say today is about celebrating the the oneness. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your film that's going oh, to be sure. uh, at the Garden State Film Festival. Uh, so uh, Ward is uh, the film that I'm representing. It's one that I directed a few years back for my very good friend, Carrie Wally. Um, she wrote uh, the film for her thesis class. And it, you know, it deals with the story of a kid named Peter who ages out of the foster care system. Um, and he's left to, to just deal with the outside world as it is, um, because that's just what he was, uh, he was destined to do as soon as he entered the system. Um, and we take like a, we take an observatory uh, perspective through Pete, through his memories, his trauma, and his, his uh, confrontation with everything that's just happening to him. Um, and we're very happy to have it being shown at Garden State Film Festival. Congratulations. So is this based on a, a person that she knew or you knew or? No, so uh, Carrie uh, was adopted um, when she was very, very young. And she's always identified herself with those that may not fit in, um, those that uh, aren't part of that, uh, that standard family. Um, image and you know a lot of us uh can relate to that sort of feeling um but she took it upon herself to create a story that uh, epitomizes that that just that lostness and that disconnect from everything around you um and she did it to perfection because she understood exactly what it what it meant to be uh just to be outside mm -hmm. of a of a circle of a, or of an institution mm -hmm. So if I'm not mistaken, Angel, this is not your first film festival. This is shown in other film festivals as well, or is this the first? No, so it's currently running the festival circuit. Um, we were making the finish, finishing touches last year and we were finally sending it out. Um, we got two results back, uh, one from Austin Under the Stars, which gave wow. us an, an audience choice award, which, <laughs> you know, finally get, gaining an accolade for your work is uh, is very uh, overwhelmingly just cherishing and beautiful to experience. Um, and we did uh, manage to get featured in a festival in um, in Atlanta, but due to some miscommunication, our, our screening was upheld and taken out, which in the grand scheme of things happens, but one yeah. opportunity after another, like Garden State, just comes right around and offers an even bigger, uh, bigger door to walk through. So it's it's not something to to have tears over. But well, you know. I want to ask for those filmmakers who may be watching, what is the process uh, when you started working on this film? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and have you done other films as well? Uh, forgive me for not knowing that, but oh, no. have you? And if so, um, when you do these films um, is the ultimate goal uh, beyond getting nominated for an Academy Award because that's going to happen too. Uh, but is your uh, 
part of the process. I asked uh, Judy earlier about her goals, but is one of the goals to get into the film festivals? I would say that some of the first goals when getting a project started and lifted from the ground is to make sure that we're all grounded and we all realize who we are and what we're capable of and what our resources are because we're we're not all privileged in in the ways that many are and so we just have to realize like hey we're we have this much money we have this much time and we have this these many people and the second priority of that would be who do you have do the people around you can you trust them do you love them have you worked with them before and if you haven't do you vibe well is is like do you is there a connection that maybe you can't explain but you can figure out when you start making a film and you know all those are very important because you're going to start investing your time your money your love your passions um, your dreams with people that that uh, are a part of the process and you can't ignore that Judy, do you have any questions? Is, is part of the goal also to go, you know, from having your films seen and recognized at film festivals to then moving on to, you know, bigger productions, studio productions? Is that part of your goal or are you more um, into the independent film world, if you will? I think with the independent world comes the, the protective, protectiveness of our own integrity. You know, we us wanting to keep things as they are or as we think they they should be um which i feel like the studio system has kind of scared many uh approaching or up-and-coming filmmakers to to jump into because you'd have to you just have to say yes mm-hmm. to whoever is paying the bill you have to like conform to 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 what project is going to be bestowed on you you know the choice isn't there unless you take it upon yourself you 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 just realize what you're made of and what your potential is and you find it out there and you create it out there. And I think that's a more, um, that offers a lot more introspection, a lot more growth uh, than just giving yourself up to a studio, which is a huge opportunity of its own. And I'm not saying that people do give themselves up, but I think for me with my background and my understanding just how, um, I guess in my situation, just how I, I've been able to work. I just know that I can, I can do things with what's around me, with who's around me and with what I'm made of, instead of thinking that the only goal is a studio um, future. Well, Angel, you sound very grounded. So congratulations on that, because this is a business where uh, everything's at the whims of other people a lot of times. For sure. Knowing what you want to do, getting out there and doing it. So congratulations. And I'm hoping to get there. I don't know what night. Do you know what night your film is going to be shown? Yeah, we're actually screening uh, around noon in uh, Asbury Hall. Okay. Asbury Hall. Okay, well, congratulations. Before we bring our next guest on, uh, pick a number, one through three, for your mystery question. It's got to be two. Okay. And the question is, what's something that you will never do again in this business? Ooh. Uh, I will not jeopardize my health because it's happened in the past and it's a big no-no. And I think any sort of like... um, sort of fizzle or tingle tingling of my senses like my spidey senses it's like i 
am I in jeopardy here? I'm good. I don't need to investigate. I don't need to be curious. I'm just, I know myself and I know what I'm capable of. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Good for you. Well, we're going to bring on someone else who is also going to be participating as part of this film festival. And that's Ed Kessel. And Ed, thank you so much for being here today. And congratulations to you as well. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Pleased thank to be here. So what is the, uh, have you done other film festivals before or is this your first? Uh, so I did the Garden State Film Festival, uh, I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was the year Ed Asner was there, um, who was, that was for me a joy to meet Ed Asner. Like, you know, I grew up watching the Mary Tyler Moore show and that was great. And he was, he was probably 92 or so. And he was flirting like crazy with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) We, we were sort of enjoying that. Like, and he, he is, um, he is Mr. Grant. Like that was his personality, you know what I mean? But very funny, very great. But what uh, you're telling us is that your wife has spunk. Yeah, <laughs> she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. And, uh, you know, I, I met him uh, towards uh, the end of his life. He was doing a, a stage reading, uh, believe it or not, about prostate cancer. Oh. And he was traveling around the country. And I think they were working on turning that into a film at that point. Uh what was his reason for being there? He was uh, he was in one of the films that was uh, that had you know won at the film festival, so he was participating, and he was giving me a hard time because I got two awards. <laughs> well, congratulations! Tell us a little bit about your current project that's going to be part of the film festival. So I actually have two. So one was entered in the music scoring category, which won in that category, um, and that's a a film, it's a short film called C.C. Sonata, and it deals with what psychosis really is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a real learning experience for me, um, finding out, you know, it's not really what you see on Criminal Minds, which um, that maybe is, that's more psychotic than psychosis. But, um, you know, it was it's about, you know, these voices can be coping mechanisms of your own brain to deal with a trauma. And not all the voices are bad. Some of them are there to help you. And, um, you know, often it happens to somebody who's been through some kind of a traumatic experience. And this is their brain's way of coping with it. Um, and, you know, the, the insight of the, the director was really fantastic. And it was great to work on the score with him. And his input was really unique. I mean, it's not something that, you know, we as composers know all the psychology of this. So it was really great to work with him. So, Well, I've always wondered when uh, filmmakers come to you and they say, this is what our film is about. We would like you to do the score for this. Um, What's the process? I mean, how does it begin? (laughs) That's a very good question. So, um, you know, I, I kind of dig into what, what the director tells me about the film, as well as my impression of the film. Um, you know, usually when I'm watching the, you know, the, the final cut of the film, minus the music, or they may have temp music in there, you know, certain ideas kind of, and themes start coming to me. Uh, you know, it could be for the characters, it could be for themes within the movie, or, you know, that kind of a thing. And, um, 
you know, a general sound and an approach that I want, you know, when, when is it set, you know, what, what's, what's the time period. And, um, you know, basically then I, then I start getting into the nitty gritty of the scenes. And if the editor does their job right, which with the films I've worked on, luckily they have, everything kind of fits into a tempo. So I start watching the scene I want to score and I, you know, I start feeling the tempo of the scene. Right. So I set my tempo in, in my Pro Tools system. I, you know, I set it to where I'm feeling it. And then really the rest sort of happens in my head, um, which is hard to describe. <laughs> so, you know, it can be thematic. It can be um, more, you know, mood setting, that kind of a thing. And when I'm working on a scene, it's very important for me to communicate with the director about what they want the audience to really feel. What do you want the audience to know and when? Because the music can tell you that, you know, you can see somebody walking across the street. Well, I can make them sinister. I can make them scared. I can make them quirky and funny, you know, by, by catching certain movements and things like that. So really, you know, the music plays a large role in telling the audience something they wouldn't necessarily already know or feel or foreshadow, that kind of a thing. So I like working with a director uh, very closely and, and really picking their brains and, and saying, this is kind of where I'm seeing it. Do you see it there? Do you want it a little later? When do you want the audience to know this, right? With, with your background in commercials, um, I'm wondering if that enhances, in a way, your, your work on film and other other you know uh, elements because commercials are, are are these little brief bites of sound really. Yes, yeah. Well, that's a good point actually, and um, you know I think it was some of the best training I could have because well I started out in the jingle business, so I started doing jingles and you know so I was a classical trumpet player and studied music my whole life and you know, graduated from Indiana University and music, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I started kind of getting on this jingle thing and I never knew what style was going to come at me. In the first two years of doing jingles, all of a sudden I had to do a Dixieland jingle. Well, I had never written Dixieland music. So, well, I had to go quickly study Dixieland music and figure out the ingredients of that and, and be able to do that. I've done you know, operatic jingles, pop jingles, rap jingles, all kinds of different things. So that on a musical level has trained me with a lot of different styles of music and being able to do quick study on it. And uh, with commercials just in general, you know, cause we, um, my company, we film them, we produce, you know, the whole thing. It may or may not involve original music. Um, and it's really like getting a story across in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So you learn different techniques and uh, it really was really super helpful, you know, training me to do other things. So, Well, before we bring our next guest on, I've got a two prong question for you. Um, how long uh, far into the process are you brought on board to do the work that you do? Uh, and as you said earlier, that you are you are setting the mood uh, for many of the scenes by the music that's being created. Um, has there ever been a situation where after a project has been done that the editing has compromised your um, uh, original vision with a film? 
Yes, <laughs> that, has, that has happened. And that's, uh, it can be tricky when that happens because, you know, there's, it's not like you could just cut it up or, you know, like cut a, cut a couple of words out of a sentence. It's, it's music. So it has a whole phrase and you can't just jump from this part of the phrase to this part of the phrase, you know, um, but you roll with it, you know, you learn just to, you know, things, things happen and you got to, you know, just figure out how to make it great, you know, with the change and you do your best with that. Um, but to answer the first part of your question, the music is kind of the last thing that, that comes into play because we need an edited film to work with. Well, you know, I was surprised. I, I interviewed uh, this incredible writer who had written a book about Max Steiner, you know, who, of course, one of the greatest uh, film composers of all time. And him and Selznick had had a huge fight and he had not worked with Selznick for years. And when he was brought into Gone with the Wind, he did the entire scoring for Gone with the Wind in a week. Can you believe this? That's crazy. <laughs> One of the most famous and iconic film scores of all time. And he did it in a week. Do it, was, the, was the feud still happening at that time? It was still happening. They, there were a lot of... Uh, credit issues and money issues and everything. I'll send you the link. It's a great interview. It just sounds like he didn't want to be there. Like, no. I got to get this over and done with and then <laughs> bye. That was the first part of it. Sometimes when you're, when you're flying by the seat of your pants, it's like, it's it's amazing what, you know, what you can accomplish. And uh, um, I don't know if you have time, but I had one little quick story. I was working on a, a theater show for Norwegian Cruise Line. It was a, a magic show with a whole story and kind of thing. So we were doing one of the revisions of the show and I had all my work done before I got on the ship for this particular revision. So, you know, there were little tweaks, little things I was doing during the week, but it was actually an easy week for me. So Thursday night, you know, as far as we all knew, the show was locked. We were going to perform it for the crew on Friday. So, you know, Thursday night, I'm out with my friends from the show. We're, we're having, you know, more than two drinks. Um, <laughs> and it's literally, I think it was like 1.30 in the morning, and the head of entertainment for Norwegian Cruise Line comes up and finds me. He's like, Ed, we need you. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> and so for the next day, I had to write this whole intro. And I was just like, so I had to go reset up my whole system and like get it done. So luckily between like two and four, I came up with the main idea what I needed to do. And then the next morning I got up really early and I was able to like kind of execute it. But, you know, you're sort of forced into like, you better get that idea. And it's like, you know, the first thing that comes to you is kind of where it went. Luckily it all went well. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining you going into your, uh, your chest box, your toy chest box, seeing whatever Legos are remaining. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it felt like. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think the underlying theme so far in the show is roll with the punches. Just yeah. go. With yeah. The yeah. Just go with it. Yeah. Life's too quick to, to think about it. So Ed, I'm going to let you pull your mystery question. It's either number one or number two. Uh, well, didn't Angel pick two? Well, there are, there are two questions. Oh, left. there are other ones. One or two. Okay. So let's go with one. Okay. And it is, um, again, it's a statement. Just finish the statement. I'm comfortable expressing my uncomfortable emotions. Um, how do you deal with a situation where you and the other creatives uh, involved 
uh, have a completely different vision? Let's go with that. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think I make my best case for for how I see it and why. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll fight for it. You know, I won't. Be, I'm never abrasive. It's not my personality. But I am persistent. <laughs> so. Nice. That's kind of my approach. But in the end, if, you know, the director says, nope, this is the way it's going to be, I'm like, okay, we'll do it that way. Um, and if not, sometimes I can convince them differently. Well, one thing that I can honestly say is that Judy and I, thank God, have never had an argument. Uh, we see eye to eye on our guests. Everyone's coming. And Judy, I want to let you tell us about your, our next guest because you reached out to me and said, I have met this incredible artist that I'd like to bring on the show. And yeah. I said, absolutely, let's do it. Well, Constantine was um, playing a concert, a, a dinner concert uh, at wh where I live, actually, at the, at the uh, you know, restaurant that's on premises where I live. And it was my good fortune to happen to go hear him that night. Uh, and I was blown away <laughs> just sitting there and listening to this brilliant pianist. Um, and then also hearing his, his really engaging stories about how he came up with the you know, various uh, compositions and why he would choose certain things to play and you know, where that really came from in, in his heart. Um, and it just, he, he just really struck me as somebody who was a really interesting person as well as a, a really brilliant pianist. He's also, and he'll tell you more about this, planning on opening a school himself for high school students. So, wow. That's great. Well, he's not part of the Garden State Film Festival yet, uh, but you never know. And here he is. Constantine, thank you. And Hi, everybody. Hi, Hello. Waiting patiently in the wings. Oh, my pleasure. Thank it's you. been a great show to watch. Well, thank you. So, Constantine, tell us a little bit about your history and how that got you to Naples, which is well, hard. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I am a concert pianist by training, but uh, I've always done more than that. I went to Juilliard for three of my degrees, actually all my degrees, and I teach there now as an adjunct. But so that just sort of to frame where I am uh, as a pianist. But since my teens, I also started acting professionally. So I began in Moscow State Theater and then I made film and television, all sorts of things. And I was always interested in that sort of intersection of of arts. Um, Naples is, you know, they say, you know, your friends, your life happens where you are. So um, I'm blessed with having an amazing people I went to school with at Juilliard namely Milana Strezeva, who uh, runs um, a major concert series in Naples called Grand Piano Series. And uh, Milana and I have been friends for over a quarter of a century, actually. Forgive me, Milana, if you watch it, because I know she doesn't like to hear that number. But we're getting just a little bit of feedback. So if you have any windows or anything open that may... Well, I'm just going to move closer to the mic. Is that good? Okay. Yeah, but yeah. We're, I'm hearing other voices. Uh, do you have a... I don't have anything open anywhere, actually. Where that's coming from. It's coming from somewhere. I am hearing things. Yeah. Um, I closed everything up. <laughs> and so so I ended... Uh, Milana asked me if I could come down to Naples um, uh, for, for these special events for the Naples Wine Festival. I had been... Uh, 
in Naples in December doing educational outreach for uh, the series that Milano runs uh, because they're, they're, they have a huge component in local schools. And I'm also a teacher. So it's very important. Music education is very important to me. So I, I participate a great deal with uh, Grand Piano Series' um, outreach initiative. And uh, it just so happens that I had another concert uh, in, in uh, Stewart, Florida, uh, at the end of that week. And Milana knew about it. So she called me and she said, well, the Naples Wine Festival would like to engage you for a few private events. Would you be uh, you know, willing to come out? And, uh, you know, winter, Florida, winning combination, friends, <laughs> wines. So I said, of course. So that is how I ended up uh, meeting Judy that evening. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, you wear so many hats. Out of all the hats that you wear, which is the one that you feel that you wear the most comfortably? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would say uh, a performer, and I mean it in a broad sense of the word. Uh, obviously playing the piano, but you know, teaching, lecturing is a performance as well. As a matter of fact, most of the things that, um, that we do that involve more than one person is a performance. So uh, that is where I'm most comfortable, probably because I've flown a million hours doing that, so to speak. Um, I, I, I love composing, but it sometimes is, uh, you know, I mean, I've been composing my whole life, but sometimes it is a struggle because you, you know, I just sort of, it's like writer's block. I also write, uh, you know, really for opera. So, you know, as a, as a job. And sometimes, you know, it takes me 10 hours to just get in the zone and find the words or find the music. Whereas as a performer, I, I, I have this sort of shortcut. I can just turn it on and, and I'm there in that moment. No matter whether, whether I'm playing the piano, whether I'm giving a lecture, whether I'm, I don't know, acting in a play. So Constance, can we have a little uh, example? <laughs> well, of course. So I'll, I'll play for you actually something that's very important to me. Um, I'm in the middle of, the, uh, uh, of composing a, a suite for myself for, for piano solo, and it's called the Pride Suite. So it, it uh, comprises of six pieces that represent um, six colors of the pride flag. And uh, the color blue that I'm about to play is um, actually also initially was a film soundtrack. And the movie is actually currently at Festival Circuit. Uh, it's called Dismissal Time. It's a short film that my dear friend Andre Joseph of uh, written and directed. He runs uh, AJ Apex production, and they already collected, I think, the Best Actress Award. And um, it's it's a you know I worked with him as an actor a decade ago, so it, it's very interesting how this wor world works, right? Because there's an action flick on Amazon that I'm in as an actor shooting people up. <laughs> <laughs> and then he calls me, he knows I'm a pianist, of course, and a composer. So he calls me, he says, you know, I'm doing this movie. Would you do a title track, you know, for the opening um, title sequence? And I did it. Uh, and, you know, I read the script. I saw Ed was absolutely right. I mean, we need to, to see things and to talk to the director uh, about what do we want people to feel. And so he told me, you know, it's a serious, great drama about racial you know, discrimination, bullying in a high school environment. So mm -hmm. obviously, you know, the music has to somehow convey the gravity of things. And mm -hmm. so I, I've written it with that mandate. And then I got such feedback for the soundtrack from him and from everyone who heard it that I wrote to him. And I said, look, 
I'm going to take that music. It'll always be soundtrack for your movie, but I'm going to expand it, reuse it, and use it as a color blue, as a dramatic moment in my suite, because it's just too good not to use. And I don't say that lightly, because I'm very self-critical, and usually I, I don't sort of feel that I need to do that, as in recycle myself, so to speak. But in this particular instance, I felt that two minutes, because, you know, he gave me under two minutes, and I wrote it in, in the original version under two minutes, uh, but I felt that you can do so much more with the music. But I'm only going to play a minute out of it. All due respect to you, I'm going to take everyone off camera so that we're going to give you the screen to yourself, and then it's all yours. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have you all back in just a moment. Exactly. Stop right there because it sort of goes and then I expanded it for thank you for the pride story. My piano's out of tune. I was trying to get the tuner in bef before the show, but he's so busy, he couldn't come until middle. No, it's beautiful. I mean, oh, it, it, you, know, it, you know, that is beautiful. Uh, it's you. haunting, it's very haunting. Yeah, it's very sad. It's very haunting. It, it, but you know, for me, this kind of that's my best place as an artist. I'm a very happy person and very upbeat, I think, as Judy knows. <laughs> But but as an artist, this is my comfort zone. So this was actually like a perfect mandate that came from Andre. And then and then I thought, you know, well, I already had gotten a commission from uh, Proto Star Foundation, which is a large arts foundation um, in California, in Southern California. And they commissioned a lot of new music, a lot of new uh, theater works and um so I already had an idea and a concept for the Pride Suite. Uh, and, and then I realized, you know, I can just take the Dismissal Time soundtrack and I just have to compose a B section and then a recap and make this into it. It's now a six minute piece. It's hard. I have to practice it. I haven't played it yet without cheating and looking at the music. But, um, but this is sort of the most uh, exciting project right now. Congratulations. It sounds great. Um, I put together... Uh, some uh, random questions to ask each of you uh, about the creative process. And like I said, if anyone's, uh, if anything grabs you and you want to jump into anything that is said or anything, jump on that. 
And I'm going to start with you, Constantine. Um, and the question is, what career did you think that you were going to have when you were in high school? Did you envision the career that you were going to have? And looking back now, are you having the career that you envisioned in high school? Well, the short answer is no. Because... <laughs> Because, I, you know, I started uh, playing piano professionally when I was uh, four or five years old. And so, you know, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to go around the world playing Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff, which I do do. I mean, I'm going to Spain in, in 10 days and I'm going to play some of, uh, some of Tchaikovsky uh, there. But uh, I could have never imagined that... Um, I will have what now the sort of the new hot term is a portfolio career, mm. you know, that everybody's talking about doing these multiple things or wearing multiple hats. And um, I, I always was interested in other things. I just didn't imagine that it's going to all align the way that it has that I'm, you know, I, I, I concertize as a concert pianist. I compose um, I teach, I run, um, I'm a director of pedagogy at a, uh, the wrong school for music, which is not the one that I, <laughs> I, what I meant is I'm already teaching at the one that my students started um, in 2020. And it is a remarkable thing that brings music really into the community and, um, and gives people really, in some cases, ticket to life. And uh, so that's very important to me. But then writing, I was always interested in words and, and languages. Clearly, English is my second language, but I you know, speak it as well as I do Russian. And um, to imagine that I would be commissioned opera libretti one after the other, uh, I mean, I just never imagined this could happen. you know. And um, so I, I, I'm just going along for the ride. God knows what I'll be doing in 2035. Wow, amazing. That's great. Uh, Angel, uh, my yes. question to you is, um, you are a creator, obviously. What does your create creativity give back to you? Oh, it, it's the, it offers so much um, of myself that I guess I was never able to fully realize uh, on my own, where I've been the most creative when I collaborate with other directors, other uh, cinematographers, even poets, um, painters. Um, and the fact that like I can tune in to other people's frequencies and then find that I have a similar frequency, uh, maybe not exact, but something similar to it that I can connect with you with. And then that allows me to, to use someone else's creativity or their medium to realize that, yeah, it's also in here. So it just offers self-expression, um, legitimacy to one's own uh, interests and, and, uh, and, and loves of life. Uh, yeah, it just it offers happiness wow. and clarity. What a great answer. What a great answer. Um, so, Ed, this is just a, a random fun question, okay? So just go with the flow. <laughs> sure. <laughs> What are some signs that you are significantly more intelligent than most people in your field? Um, signs that I was more intelligent than people? I, I don't know that I'm more intelligent. I, I just, um, <clears throat> you know, I kind of do me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's, um, I guess one of the things I strive for is I, 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 I try and keep know where the bar is you know what i mean i listen to the greatest you know films and the greatest composers in the world that ever lived um and 
I, I in my old studio, I used to have a picture of Beethoven on the wall, and I would turn to Beethoven. I'm like, is it good enough yet? And you know, I I would imagine the answer, and I'd be like, all right, I got to keep working on this. You know what I mean? So well, all he would say, I can't hear you. Speak well. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to remember that for my next interview. Um, so if you don't get an answer right away, that's why. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really, you know, for me, knowing where it is, I have to be able to sit back and say and be completely comfortable with what I've created. And then I know like, OK, I'm good. Like for me, I love it. And I don't want to present anything to anybody that I don't love. You know what I mean? And I just think you know, maybe that's helped me along the way with, you know, reaching the success I've gotten so far. I think yeah. that's the secret right there to all of it. There's definitely some comfort in knowing that you're not the smartest in the room because then you still have more to learn or more to develop. Always. Yes. <laughs> I'm always learning. Absolutely. Judy, do you have any comments on any? Well, I, you know, I just think that, that learning is sort of the theme of today's show, right? You know? Mm -hmm that these are all, all, you know, people who are actively still learning their craft as well as teaching others the craft, you know, giving back and teaching others. And, you know, that's, I, I, you know, I think that's really beautiful. It's, it's, it's what most of us would hope to strive for. So, in fact, Constantine, I want to hear a little bit from you about uh, the school that you're thinking about yes. for high school students. Well, this is what, what the Bronx School for Music is. So it, it ages from like five to 18. And, but it, it is in the Bronx uh, community, in the center of Bronx. And um, we right now just have the music, but the uh, founder and the director who happens to be my colleague now, but once a student, um, Phil Cuoco, he uh, is uh, on the same wavelength with me. And I always felt that what, I wish I had in my professional music education is also acting, which I just happen to have benefited from because of my particular life. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, you know, when people ask me like, what, what do you wish you had done? I wish you could major in drama and music at the same time. It still is not possible, you know, Juilliard uh, for instance. And um, I think it's a necessary skill. So I created a system called narrative musicianship, which basically is, it's, which is basically acting technique for instrumental musicians using the tenets of Stanislavski's, uh, you know, approach, uh, which in the United States is known as the method, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to, how to live the experience, how not to make a facsimile of it or pose, but how to be. Um, on camera or on stage. And as a musician, we have to do the same. The task is a little more difficult because we don't have concrete words. So we have to have a very concrete script in our mind with the story that's running in order for music to reach the level of um, transmission of meaning to people that it actually touches people. And I say, you know, for me, the, the most important thing is that people don't check their email during the performance, right? So if you get them their attention so undivided um then they're really with you on the journey but everybody wants to hear a story nobody wants to just hear pretty sounds i mean for that we all have machines and uh, elevators and so you know it, it is uh what we're planning to do is to add a drama and musical theater uh to our educational package 
and make it a requirement for musicians uh, to, to basically take those classes. And of course, for people who want to specialize in musical theater, I mean, what can be better than that? But then they will have to take piano too. That's great. I'm one of those dinosaurs. I actually don't take my phone into the theater or a concert hall. I leave it in the glove compartment of the car and it stays there uh, because I just want to be caught up in the moment. And it also drives me insane. It's a pet peeve of mine as artists are taking their bows that people are rushing for the exit. Uh, it just, it gets under my skin unbelievably. Uh, but I can't even imagine anyone checking their emails while you're playing. Well, I mean, I, it, I can't really tell because I'm sitting with my side to the audience. <laughs> but, you know, I use it more as a metaphor. But I've seen what yes. I'm, why, when I'm in the audience and I observe the audience, you know, one of, one of the great things actors learn is to observe the world around you, right? That's the only way that you can, you know, truthfully understand a human condition. Um, and, and so I observe the audience and it is quite remarkable what you see. Um, you know, I, I'm a very positive person, so I don't want to, oh. you know, say, oh, well, that's, very, whatever, that's but. a perfect statement for the question I was going to ask you and I'm going to ask you. And the question is, when was the last time that you saw a beautiful sunset and really enjoyed it? Oh, just right now in Florida. I was sitting in a swing in my dear friend's uh, beautiful home, waterfront, enjoying a glass of champagne and watching the most divine sunset. And I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, you know, giving a performance. I was just swinging and drinking. I, I had a question. Um, how do you manage the, 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 just the, the ability to like, to nurture, to guide, to to hold the hands of like students that are coming in, learning these uh, ridiculously, sometimes impossible like talents, uh, instruments, skill sets, what have you, but while also managing the fact that they're all just kids with dreams and goals and and feelings and emotions, does it feel like it's a jungle sometimes having to having to be in the in a teacher's position to not only educate but to also guide and inspire? Well, I mean, it, it is a responsibility. It is a huge responsibility. I, you know, I'm, I'm not that old. So it wasn't that many years since I was a student myself. So I, I always say, what kind of a teacher do I wish I had? I, I was blessed with having an amazing teachers. So this is by no stretch of the imagination a comment on, on, you know, the teachers that I had. But most of my teachers were, you know, substantially older. And therefore, they really belong in a different era. And, and there, there's so much to learn from that generation, but it's a different approach to, um, to teaching as, as a form of initiation. And I believe in leading by example. So it's very important not to sort of be this thing on a pedestal that sort of speaks down to students, but to be with them in, together in this exploratory process um, the only thing that inspires people is when they see inspiration in the eyes of those that are inspiring them, right? So I have to be inspired. And, I, and I'm kind of curious, uh, private detective type person. So I research everything, right? Uh, so it is, um, it helps me that I'm also on the quest, you know, to, to look into things that I may be lecturing on or teaching people. And, and most importantly, always be incredibly positive. You know, when I was growing up in Moscow, um, I had amazing teachers as far as craft is concerned, but from a psychological standpoint, 
it's a miracle that I haven't entirely lost it because, um, you know, you're told daily that you're no good and that there is no hope uh, as a device of making you want to be better. But when you're repeatedly told you'll never be great enough uh, to compare to the great old people that died half a century ago, you know, at some point you just begin to wonder why am I even doing this? Because there is no hope. Like no matter how hard I try, I'll never be good at, as good as XYZ, someone who died in 1965 and uh, of old age, mind you. So, so I kind of try to be the opposite of that. You know, always be encouraging. Even if somebody's doing a horrible job, they probably already are dying inside because they understand they're doing horrible jobs. Mm -hmm. So the least they need to hear from me is that was absolutely awful, right? So there's always a way to find kindness in the way that you make critique. Mm -hmm. That is a constructive criticism. And I learned it from my teacher, Juilliard, you know, great American pianist, Jerome Lowenthal, who is 91 now and still teaching full time. Wow. And he is that kind of a golden era pianist, but he has an unusual understanding of, uh, of human psychology. I've never seen him truly, you know, berate a student, no matter how occasionally terribly somebody played including myself he always said oh well you know this was very nice but it can be better xyz so that's that's a very simple approach you can always lead with that was wonderful you know you're good but i think these things will be better if you do the following it sounds yeah. like you'd have to learn that through example or through mistakes like constructive criticism it's it's almost impossible to understand your own words until you hear it back from someone else. And then you learn totally. like, Oh, I was not that kind. Yes. <laughs> totally. So, you know, I, I'm very careful with words because I, I know how they can sting because I've experienced it. Wow. Uh, last week I saw a great documentary called facing the laughter about Minnie Pearl mm -hmm. and Minnie Pearl, believe it or not, uh, set out to be a Shakespearean actress. Uh, she studied uh, that character that we saw is the complete opposite of who she was. And her teacher told her that she would touch the hem, hems of stars, but she would never be a star herself. Oh. You know, imagine being told that as a student. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, Angel, where is home for you, by the way? Home, um, it's New Jersey. Oh, it's okay. the only place that I've known. Um, my family's from Ecuador, and they came to this country, landed in Jersey, and rooted their uh, their family here. And it's just all I've known up until a few years ago, where the world just started getting bigger and bigger, well, and I wanted to connect to it. I'm going to ask you basically the same question that I asked Constantine. Uh, when was the last time that you had a moment just to sit and observe what was going on around you, and truly be in the moment and enjoy it? Um, well... Recently, uh, it's been the it's been a dry or a low season of work. Um, I've been taking a lot more walks, and I've just been um, confronted with nothing but life and nothing but the space between, you know, then and now. And it's all I can do is just be thankful that I'm here and that I get to express myself through the medium of of film, through music, or through any other like kind of physical. Uh, artistry like there's just an infinite uh, toolbox to my disposal in this life and i how can i not be gra grateful for that and thankful for it that's great uh i saw an, an interview last week with uh, it was an older interview with liza manelli and she said that she practices gratitude every day she Ooh. said you not to be grateful for the people that i've worked with the places i've been the things that i've done 
is to spit in the eye of God. And so she said she actually practices. And I thought that was a beautiful statement. And my question for you is, what, if anything, stands in the way of you going after what you desire? Or do you just push everything aside and go right for it? So I think the uh, the biggest thing that would has stood in my way at times is me. Um, you know, not believing in myself enough. Um, I kind of had to prove to myself that I could do this. You know what I mean? Because it just, you know, you, you had asked the question about like what you thought you might be doing, you know, when you're younger. Um, you know, I was a trumpet player and, you know, I never even tried compose. I was very late to the game, really like my senior year in college before I really started composing anything. And, uh, or even dabbling in it, because to me, a composer was Mozart, it was Beethoven, not me, like, you know, like these, you know, these gods of music, you know, who am I? And I really just kind of through time had to prove to myself, oh, you can, you can actually write music that, you know, people would enjoy or, you know, would serve a purpose or a movie or, or this or that. And, um, you know, so I really, it, I, I would say it's me and I have to, Still to this day, Tommy said, "No, Ed, you can do this. <laughs> like, go for it." And um, and then I do, you know, um, go for it. You know what I mean? And uh, hold on, hold on tight, and just do the best you can. I think it's very fascinating that anytime you do find yourself confronting yourself, it really is just you acting as a fourth dimensional being and just arguing with your past. <laughs> just like that's really, that's, that's, yeah. yeah you're you're playing with time and you're just thinking that oh i can change it by speaking to myself by arguing persuading or um even punishing myself you know it's i remember hearing a, an interview with uh hammerstein um rogers and hammerstein um and he said that before every project that a new project that he would come in and he would get He'd be scared that he wouldn't be able to pull it off this time. Like he would lose his creativity or, you know, whatever it was. And he would literally be nervous about it. And he also said that's what kept kept him sharp. And he also went on to say that he's also being compared. Uh, he was also being compared to what had come pre previous uh, after Oklahoma they wanted everything to be Oklahoma. Uh, it had to be at that same level. Right. Yeah. He raised the bar on himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he had to keep reaching that bar and then exceeding it, which he did. Wow. Uh, Judy, any comments? Yeah. Uh, I, just I'm reflecting that I, I approach uh, what I do in therapy in very much the same ways because I'm constantly, you know, getting ready for my next session with somebody or a couple and saying to myself, okay, what do they need? Where, where are we? How am I going to do this? Well, how am I going to talk to them in a way that, that they're actually going to make, make some real changes in their lives, you know, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not self doubt, but it is, you know, going internally to try to reach my best capabilities as a, as a therapist and be able to bring that to the session because that's what I owe them, you know, because it's therapy is a collaborative process. So I'm, it's a very similar, pro, you know, a way of, of dealing internally with that 
need to tap into your own creative self. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank all of you. This hour has flown for me. And of course, this show took on a life of its own literally three hours ago. (laughs) So thank you all for going with the flow today uh, and just being in the moment. Um, We're each going to uh, get a chance to give your final word today. Uh, It could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't speak about that you wish that we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with today. Um, and uh, and each of you, and then we will end with uh, Judy Bloom will have the final word today. Um, before we went uh, live today, I heard that Raquel Welch passed away yeah, and uh, at the age of 82. And I brought this picture because yeah. there we are. I got the chance to um, to speak with her years ago when her memoir came out. And uh, I also saw her on Broadway in Woman of the Year. And believe it or not, she was very good. Uh, she took over for Lauren Bacall in the show. So I was lucky enough to see her on the stage. I know because of her persona that a lot of people did not always see the person behind the persona. But my experience with her was incredible. Uh, And I also want to mention that we have an incredible sponsor for today's show. And that's uh, my dear friend, Ann Tallman. She has a show that's going to be playing here in New York uh, that's coming up on February 26th called Elizabeth Taylor and the Shadow of Her Smile. Ann Tallman played Elizabeth Taylor's daughter uh, in The Little Foxes. And here she is, uh, the two of them together. And her show is, it's not gossipy. It's a wonderful celebration of who Elizabeth Taylor was beyond the footlights. And I saw the show the last time it was around. And I'm very fortunate that I'm going to get to see her again. It's an incredible show. With all of these artists, everyone, please look them up. All the information will be on my YouTube channel. Uh, Continue to follow them. Uh, see what they're doing. If you can get to the film festival at the Garden State next month, by all means, do that. I want to thank everyone with the Garden State Film Festival uh, for reaching out to me and letting me know about the film festival. And there will be other artists as we go on over the next few months that will be uh, doing this show as well. Uh, I, every day, pick a word that I focus on for the day. And the word that I pulled this morning was curiosity. And I think that as long as we all hold on to curiosity within ourselves, within the artists that we enjoy seeing, uh, with that, within the world around us, uh, that we can all make the world a better place. I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call and let that person know how they matter in your life. A dear friend of mine says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Some are in yachts, some are in canoes, some are in kayaks, some are pushing tugboats upstream. It doesn't really matter, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm gonna leave the screen, and Constantine, thank you for being here, and I'm turning it over to you, thank you. Well, thank you so very much. The curiosity indeed seems to be the order of the day today. And um, in, in that frame of mind, I would um, say that, you know, music education, whether early or at any stage in life, is a, it has a tremendous uh, 
potential to change your life for the better. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it is something that is gaining momentum and people beginning to realize that just for general wellness, um, it has tremendous power. Uh, whether in older age, you know, Alzheimer's patients, as a matter of fact, um, are able to remember uh, music and words for their your favorite songs whilst they can remember, you know, what they had for breakfast. And um, and and also other benefits th- that exist that people are, I, I don't think are taking quite seriously yet, but it is a growing and exploding field. So um, whatever age you are, you know, look into music, not as uh, purely as entertainment, but as something, make it part of your life because it will make your life better. And of course, for early education, it, it truly kind of jumpstarts the brain. Um, you know, they, the, there was a research that confirms the, num- the biggest number of, of neuron firing in a brain are the neurons um, in a brain of a pianist who is actually playing with both hands, having to do with ambidexterity. So um, even if you're horrible at playing through release, do it anyway, because it's good for your brain. <laughs> and, and if you're interested in, in figuring out, um, I have a few shows in April in New York City. It's all going to be on my socials. They're exciting new ballets with two different dance companies. So check out my Instagram and I will sign off with that. Thank you, Constantine. And Angel. Yeah, um, final words. I feel as if the most important thing that I can probably uh, throw out there in the world is uh, acknowledging whenever you find a flow in in your artistry, in your crafts, your skills, your talents, your people. Um, it's, it's something purely magical to be able to get lost into something and not even realize that time has gone by. I guess it goes along with the the sentiment of if you love what you're doing, you're not really working. Um, if you feel like life is just as simple as it gets when you're doing what you really want to do, it's a very, 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 very beautiful thing. And I've truly found that with being a filmmaker and making films with the people that I want to make with. <laughs> and yeah. Thanks, Angel. Sounds like uh, Mahali's is consent Mahali and flow. <laughs> so, Ed? So, well, first of all, happy birthday to Richard. Um, and I want to thank you guys for, for having me on. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Um, <clears throat> so just, you know, final thoughts. Um, I would say, you know, stay true to your vision and believe in yourself. Like you don't, you don't even know what you're capable of until you really, really try. And I think um, that can lead you to uh, to things you never really thought were possible. Thank you. I think that's right on. <laughs> so word of the day, I guess, is curiosity. So be curious. Be curious about who you are. Who are you really? Be curious about others. Who are they? And be curious about life and what everything that life has to offer. Then bring your best self to it and allow yourself to grow through that curiosity. We'll see you in two weeks.